you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to The Andy Storch Show. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so pumped, excited, grateful, and happy that you are joining me today on this podcast. I have a very special interview for you today. It's one that I was so excited about, and after conducting it and having this conversation, even more excited about because this guy... Dr. Gay Hendricks is just so full of stories and information and advice and life. I love it. It may not be for everybody, but I like his style and his writing and his advice, and I hope that you do as well. So if you don't know who Dr. Hendricks is, he has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD from Stanford in 1974, Dr. Hendricks served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He has written more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as Five Wishes and The Big Leap, which was a book that I read and loved last year, and I had him on my podcast, so you may remember hearing him on the Entrepreneur Hot Seat or on the Talent Development Hot Seat. I published that interview on both in uh, really, I think, early Uh, mid-2018, so it hasn't been that long. And then he came out with a new book called The Joy of Genius, which is the sequel to The Big Leap. And because I had interviewed him before, he sent me, his team sent me a copy, a signed copy, uh, which I was going to buy it anyway because I was so excited to get this sequel to the book I already liked. And uh, I read it very quickly earlier in the week, and it was fantastic. I really, I was highlighting and taking notes on most of the book and putting things into practice right away because he gives a lot of practical advice on how to get rid of negative thoughts and stop trying to control the past and stop trying to control other people and to let go of things and find your genius. And so I was starting to put some of these things into action, and then I got a chance to interview him and ask him a bunch of questions about his life and about this book. And so even if you don't know who he is, if you've never read The Big Leap or any of his other work and you haven't read this book, no big deal. You are going to get the full spectrum today. You're going to get some of his story as well as some of his advice for finding your genius, living in your genius getting rid of negative thoughts and negative emotions going on in your life and really how to embrace life and live it to its fullest extent, which is what we talk about a lot on this podcast. And so I am really excited for you to get a chance to listen to this conversation with Dr. Gay Hendricks. And so without any further ado, I will send you to it. Enjoy. Dr. Gay Hendricks, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy. It's great to be with you. Yeah, great to have you back on. Uh, We spoke, I don't know, several months ago uh, after I'd read The Big Leap, which I absolutely loved and uh, was excited about and and just so excited that I got to speak with you about it. And I remember we were able to give some people some practical advice on, you know, how to discover their genius and figure out how to spend more time there. And yet I did feel like after reading that book that it was a lot of theory and maybe not as much advice as I wanted on how to actually 
get there and get to where I wanted to go. And so I was so happy when you said that you were coming out with a new book, which is called The Joy of Genius. And also very grateful that uh, you sent me a copy, which I read and thoroughly enjoyed, just finished it a couple days ago. And I am really excited to get a chance to talk with you today about the book. So maybe we'll start with, I'd love to know from your perspective, you know, why did you decide to write this next book, The Joy of Genius? Well, for one thing, people after The Big Leap came out, I got a lot of letters about how to do it, especially the part on Einstein time, how to reconnect with time in such a way that you always have plenty of time to do what you most want to do. And so I began to answer emails and work with people on what's next. And so I began to think about what's next? What's the next step beyond the big leap? Right. And I realized that it was in learning how to live on what I now call the genius spiral. How do you get onto the genius spiral? And once you get there, what do you do to just keep organically riding the currents up and up? Uh, I got the original idea for the spiral. My wife and I just celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. And when we got married, we had a private wedding on top of a mountain in Colorado. And so as we were giving our vows to each other 37 years ago, these two beautiful hawks came and began to circle in the sky above us. And we looked up and there, and every time we would look up, these hawks would be circling further and further in this current on up into the sky in this beautiful spiral. And so this idea really stuck with me. The idea that once you get on a certain pathway, you can kind of ride the natural currents as long as you know how to steer it. And so the big leap was how to knock on the door of your genius and get in the front door. And The Joy of Genius, the new book, is about how to use that effortless natural aspect of life to just naturally keep bringing forth more and more of your genius every day. Well, and if I can, I, I think that uh, for me, at least, uh, one of the biggest things from this new book is, you know, you've set your goals, your intentions on spending more time in your zone of genius or, and performing better, but there are so many pitfalls, things that can take you off track. And you talk a lot in this book on how to deal with a lot of those negative thoughts, a lot of those things that can come up and, and really taking responsibility for what's going on in your life and not getting so sidetracked by all these things that can happen. So, and a lot of that, and I want to say that I love that you tell so much of your story in this book, especially in your early days when you were dealing with so many problems and challenges yourself and how you use this on yourself to overcome so many things and change your life. And I think that just makes it so much more real and so applicable and so relevant. And I'd love for you to share a little bit of that story because, you know, you are this well-known, accomplished author and psychologist who knows so much, it can help so many people, but you at a time or 24 years old, wherever it was, uh, were in a very different place in your life where you needed as much help as, as anybody. Indeed. And well, I started out in life with, uh, had some initial challenges. There was something wrong glandularly in me because I put on weight tremendously right after I was born. And by the end of my first year of life, I was a very fat baby. And so I was taken around to different specialists to find out what was wrong with me. And so they tried everything on me as I was growing up. You know, I went, when I was in the ninth grade, they put me on this really radical diet and also gave me what I 
later discovered were amphetamines. They were diet pills, they called them, but what they really were were a form of speed. And yeah. I, I didn't, you know, in the ninth grade, I didn't know anything about that. But all I knew is I would be laying there trying to go to sleep at night and my heart would be beating like a bass drum in my body, you know, thum, thum, thum. And so it took a tremendous amount of weight off of me. But as soon as I stopped taking the pills and my system normalized, I began to gain weight again. So that was a big problem up until the age of 24. And at that point, oh, and by the way, I should tell you that I weigh about 180 pounds. Yeah, I'm looking at you now. Oh, right. So, <laughs> but at the time, I had this moment of enlightenment when I was 24. I weighed 320 pounds. So in other words, 140 pounds more than I weigh now. Another person. I also wore big glasses. And I was in a relationship that was very toxic, didn't like my job. So everything was wrong in my life. And you were a smoker too, I remember. I, oh yeah, I was smoking two or three packs of Marlboros a day. Can't believe that now, because now if I get within about 50 feet of a lit cigarette, my yeah. body goes on uh, hyper alert. Yeah, same here. So, yeah, and um, suddenly though, I got what I now think of as a kind of a kiss or a wink from the universe at the time, it looked like an accident. When I was 24, I, I slipped and fell on my back on the ice on a real icy road. And I hit the back of my head and I didn't knock myself out, but I kind of jolted myself out of my normal awareness for a moment, for about two minutes, actually. And during that two minutes, I had an amazing experience of being able to see down through all the levels of myself that I'd never really seen before. I saw that I had all these tense muscles that were hiding a bunch of feelings that I'd never talked to anybody about, things I was angry about, sad about, scared about, dreams I had that I'd never told anybody about. But underneath all of that, I got a glimpse of something that really changed my life, which I, I saw that at the center of everything, we are pure consciousness, that before all of our program gets added onto us, you know, our parents and our schooling and all of that stuff, there's this space of pure consciousness inside ourselves. And I never experienced that until that moment. And so it, I guess it took a whomp on my back to kind of knock me out of my normal state of consciousness for a moment. So as I was laying there on the ice, I had this amazing experience. And as I was getting ready to stand back up, I made a commitment. And I think it's the commitment that really saved me because I made a commitment to live so that I could always feel that space of pure consciousness in me. And from that moment on, one miraculous thing has happened after another in my life to go along with that. Just for an example, the day after I had this experience, there I was again, I was, you know, I was smoking, I still had the urge to smoke, I was still in that relationship, I still lived in this crummy little apartment and worked at the school for juvenile delinquents. And anyway, I went back to my same life. But in a way, everything had changed. And the first thing that changed was, I began to eat food that I felt fed that pure consciousness inside rather than feeding my old body. And so it was, um, the first thing I remember was somehow we got hold of some blueberries and uh, even though it was winter time and maybe they were frozen, but I remember eating three blueberries 
And that was all my body wanted. And, you know, before, yeah. I never ate fruit. I never ate vegetables. Yeah. For me, vegetables was ketchup on French fries. <laughs> that was my extent of my vegetable. I thought putting the ketchup on was, you know, going to give me all my vegetable needs for the day. So within a year, I lost about 100 pounds. And then I kept losing more and more and more over the next few years. And so, but I really discovered my body in the process. You know, instead of being a 300-pound intellectual with big, thick glasses, I became, you know, first a 220-pound person, then a 205-pound person, then a 195-pound person. And so I changed beings always by doing the same thing, which is choosing activities that fed that natural, organic sense of pure consciousness. And so to this day, actually, that's how I live my life. And fortunately, uh, in 1980, I met my miracle mate, Kathleen Hendricks, known as Katie, around the house. And uh, she's out in Boulder today, by the way, teaching a seminar on her new pet subject, which is how to turn your life into a work of art. And so she's out uh, kind of doing her thing today. So over the past 40-some years since all of that happened, one thing after the other has occurred in my life that is almost seems like gifts being presented to me. And one of the gifts that got presented to me just after I'd finished my PhD and was establishing a practice and that kind of thing, I got referred a lot of very talented people from Silicon Valley, because I was still working there at Stanford at the time, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And so I kept getting referrals from these amazing, brilliant engineers and executives and software geniuses who all had problems with their relationships. Hmm. And I always say, when the world brings you three things in a row, pay attention, because it's not about the world at that point, it's about you. And so I began saying, well, how am I just like these people? And it was that I was cut off from the neck below. I had never really made friends with my body. Even though I'd lost the weight and everything, I never really accepted my body and all of my feelings until I started working with clients who were so out of touch with their feelings that it was almost like holding up a sign in front of me all the time. So... Um, that led me to write The Big Leap because time after time, I would meet these people that were brilliant, but they were also miserable because they weren't accessing their true genius. And as I would guide them into doing more and more of what they most love to do, you know, they would begin to, their depression would lift, they would shine, and they would begin to enjoy their work again. And so I spent a lot of my time in the 90s and up until the early 2000s, doing a lot of corporate work with consulting with Dell Computer and Motorola and other places like that, where I would go and work with their successful executives on how to get from the zone of excellence up into the genius spiral. So that's what greatly interests me right now is how do we really live our lives so that every day is a ride on the genius spiral? Yeah, so interesting. And that you had been through this experience and that you had that epiphany and you made that commitment. And you said in your book, I remember that all successful change begins with heartfelt commitment, right? You've got to make that commitment and get clear on what you want and why you want it before you start moving towards it. Otherwise, you're probably not going to accomplish anything. 
Yeah, you come from an athletic background, don't you? A little bit, yep. Uh, yeah. Well, have you played a team sport? Yeah, I used to play a lot of team sports. I still play basketball every week. Well, one thing I learned from playing high school football, I always say I had absolutely no talent on the athletic dimension, but I was big. Mm. And so the high school football coach, who was also my history teacher, one day he looked at me when I was in the 11th grade and said, by then I'd, I'd lost some weight thanks to the amphetamines. And he said, I was about maybe 240 pounds, 25 pounds maybe at the time. And he said, Hendricks, you're big. How come you ain't out for football? This is in Central Florida where the coaches yeah. talk like that. How yeah. come you ain't out for football? Yeah. And I, I said, okay, well, I'll try it out. And I found that I really enjoyed playing on a team. I enjoy singular sports too, like I just played golf this morning. But um, I love team sports because you really get the commitment issue. Because here's the thing. I realized that it's not just being in the game that's different from being on the bench. It's being in the game and really committed to it. Because I played with people who, even though they were on the team, you could tell they weren't really committed to it. They were playing in a kind of, pardon my expression, half-assed way. Right. And, and a lot of them, too, were people with more athletic skills than the others of us had. That they, they could hold it in a little lazier way, but they weren't as engaged. And so I studied that very carefully. What is it that makes people really engaged? And in my work with a lot of coaching clients, I'm looking at where do they block themselves from full engagement and how can we get full engagement with whatever the process is. One thing that I talk about in the new book is it's much easier to get engagement when people are committed to their genius. That if I can just get in a room with people and get them to commit 10 minutes to exploring their genius, in an open-hearted, open-minded way. In that 10 minutes, I can get them to the point where genius is contagious and addictive in their lives. In other words, they want more and more of it because as we connect with our true genius, it liberates a form of a kind of a flow, of a spacious flow inside us, I would call it. And that's a good way to know when you're on your genius spiral. Are you experiencing that spacious flow inside? And it's not a driven thing. I say it's a spacious flow. It's not a uh, yeah. kind of thing. It's a at ease flow where you're fully energized, but also fully relaxed at the same time. That's when you're on the genius spiral. That's one way to know. Just for more information, background for people that haven't read the book, what does it mean to connect with your genius and why is it that most people are not really connected to their genius or not spending much time in their area or zone of genius? Uh, yeah, I've quit using the terminology zone of genius because it, it encloses it too much. So mm. um, I used now the genius spiral because it has that open-ended thing. But what happens is most people box themselves in by being in um, what I call three boxes, the box of incompetence where you're doing stuff you're not good at, 
the box of competence where you're doing stuff you're good at, but somebody else could do just as well, and the box of excellence where you're doing stuff you're excellent at. You make money at it. You have, you know, you get a lot of attaboys and girls for doing it. But ultimately, if you stay there, it becomes toxic because you're not breaking through into your full po possibility for your potential on the genius spiral. So first of all, get out of the incompetence box as soon as possible and get out of the competence box by delegating. So Delegate. yeah, stop doing things that you're not good at or that you're marginally good at and you could hire someone else to do much easier or faster than you. That's right. In one of the books, I talk about this highly paid consultant friend of mine, Tom, who makes $1,000 an hour when he's working. He called me one Sunday afternoon. He'd spent 13 hours trying to install a new printer. Oh, and I can relate so to that. He's got $13,000 tied up of his personal time four hours on the phone with customer service at Hewlett Packard. So, and to top it all off, here's the great punchline. He gave up, went down the street to an eighth grader who was a computer genius, yeah. a hundred bucks and the kid had it done in under an hour. <laughs> right. So it cost him a hundred bucks. He could have done that done for the beginning. And he could have, in the meantime, could have made a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars doing work for clients. If he'd been working, but I like to bill my time all day long to whether or not I'm actually seeing somebody or not, because I'm busy thinking about things. Yeah. But it's a great lesson to all of us to just get out of the competence and incompetence box, delegate, find somebody else to do it. If you can't afford an assistant, trade something for one and just get out from under that as soon as possible. But I also want to caution you, get out of your excellence box as soon as possible too, because I cannot count the number of 40-year-old people who have been in here over the years who are very successful lawyers, doctors, very successful business people who come to me at age 40 or 42 or 45 and say, you know, I'm making a great money. I'm in the right clubs. You know, my kids go to private schools. And I feel like if I keep doing this, I'm going to die. Because if you're in your excellence box too long, people keep wanting you to do more and more of your excellence. And that's great for a while, mm, yay. But after a while, that wears off, that mm, yay feeling wears off, where you dread getting out of bed in the morning. And I've heard the same story from, I don't know how many hundreds of people. So it's a box that we all have to get out of, particularly if we're successful. What you need to do is genius yourself out of the excellence box by starting to do incrementally more and more things on your genius spiral, doing more and more things that are in your special wheelhouse, that are in the things that you love most to do. And almost all of the people that I've worked with have been able to start identifying things that they already do that they love to do. It's just that they're not doing them as much as they want to. So we start increasing them by 10 minutes a day. And pretty soon within a few weeks, wow, you're spending more and more time in your zone of genius and your genius spiral than you ever imagined possible. And so I always say to get in touch with your genius, you don't have to quit your job, take a sailboat to Tahiti or have a, you know, a ride off into the unknown with a Brazilian mistress or anything like that. You just start where you are and begin to identify what you love to do 
And if there's not anything in your present life that you love to do, get busy looking for what you most love to do because that's the crystal clear sign that you're on the genius spiral, is that you're doing more and more of what you most love to do. The things that mm, have that inner satisfaction, not the raw, raw ego satisfaction, but the, yeah, I'm fulfilling my life purpose. Yeah, I'm right mm -hmm. on track. Yeah, I'm aligned with who I really am inside. So those are the kinds of things that really propel you forward to a successful life, true success. Yeah, and a lot of this is about taking control and responsibility for your life and how you're spending your time and really being conscious with how you're spending your time. And is it something that is in your genius that you really love doing or is it something you just do because you're good at it and you get paid money? And I remember in the book, you, you talk about how to woo your creativity, which starts with appreciating your creativity, really being grateful for it and asking the wonder question. So can you talk a little bit more about how to woo that creativity so that we can get more of it? Yes. Well, think about how you would woo a beloved or a prospective mate that you had coming over for dinner for the first time, maybe. What you do is you'd kind of tidy up the apartment a little bit and um, get things spick and span, and you would lay out your best plates and put out your best glasses and so even if those best glasses were made out of a mason jar, you do your best because you really want to create the best of yourself for this prospective beloved. So the same thing has to happen with creativity, that we need to build a place inside ourselves that's tidy, spick and span, has the right place settings. And that means letting it be okay to acknowledge our creativity fully, to say yes to our creativity. I give in the book you know, commitments that you could make. Just um, try on this one, for example. I commit to ending my negative thinking and accessing my true genius. I commit to ending my negative thinking and accessing my true genius. It's a commitment. It's an idea. It's a tone that you're sounding in your being. It's unlikely that it's going to happen in the next 10 seconds. But what's going to happen is that tone, once you sound it, once you express an interest in what you want, begins a manifestation process that then begins to bring those kinds of experiences into your life. So here, uh, like in a lot of our uh, genius seminars, what I have people do first is simply go in a room by themselves for 10 minutes and focus on their genius. And almost nobody has ever done that that comes to our seminar. So it's a new thing to go in a little room by yourself and do nothing but focus on your genius for 10 minutes. And if you don't know what your genius is, what we have them do in that 10 minutes is just sit in a chair and say, hmm, what is my genius? And then take a few breaths. And then, hmm, what is my genius? It's a tool we call wonder questions. I talk about it in The Joy of Genius a lot, how a wonder question produces a lot of magical results very quickly because wonder takes you out of your ordinary state of consciousness. So that if you're in wonder, you're not in that 
stressed out strive state of trying to get the answer and you're not in that super laid back state where you're not really participating in life so in the moment of wonder you're hmm you're genuinely in a space of not knowing yet really wanting to know and that's a beautiful space that invites in all sorts of magical uh, things happening afterwards because you know it's like uh, nature rushes to a vacuum the moment you open up that space of wonder it kind of invites in things that you wouldn't have been able to connect with before right right i love that i mean that that state of wonder and it reminds me you have a quote in the book that uh if you about life if you are not in a constant state of awe you are not paying attention i just i love that because we just get so so many people get caught up just living your life in the mundane things you know got to get this email out always look at my phone and not really being grateful for the world that's around us and really looking and what in wonder at all the things that surround us and things that are going on the life that we get to live and appreciating that and i try to do more of that every day and i, I loved reading that because it, it definitely made me think i want to live in a state of awe that sounds great yeah, a state of awe and wonder. It's a delicious way to be. Uh, yeah, the I, uh, one of our assistants, Alessandra, brought in a bumper sticker with that saying on it that said, yeah. if you're not in constant awe, you're not paying attention. Yeah, that's great. I want to shift gears a little bit because we're talking about, you know, living in that state of genius and the, the spiral and wooing our creativity. A lot of what you talk about in the book is also avoiding the negative thoughts that can really drag you down. And you say things like much of our negative thinkings comes from trying to control other people, control situations for which we have no control or, or controlling the past, which I know a lot of people can probably relate to this. We spend so much time ruminating and thinking about things that happened in the past that we can't change because they're in the past. And yet so much thought is tied up in that. So tell me a little bit more about why you put so much of that in the book and how that drives so much negative thinking and energy in people. Well, for many people, the cloud of negative thinking is what's keeping them out of their genius. They're living under a cloud of negative thoughts, and I know I've, I've been there. So first of all, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, thinking about what other people think of us, I call them the three unproductive obsessions because it does absolutely no good. People sit around worried about whether somebody likes them, but then don't pick up the phone and call them and say something nice to them, you know? <laughs> so same thing happens with money. Same thing happens with health. People get locked into that place. So what needs to happen is something to jolt us out of that state of consciousness. Wonder can do that. A good commitment can do that. Ultimately, Genius and creativity are the cures to a lot of problems because so many of us create problems because we're not in touch with our true purpose. And again, I've been there. I know when I was up until that age 24, I think I was busily living out an unconscious purpose for my life, which was to die young, basically. My father had died young, very obese, heavy smoker, not in a good relationship. And there I was already doing that by the time I was 24 years old. And so you have to think of all these things as addictions, like thinking about the past is an addiction. 
thinking about the future is an addiction. And because they keep coming back, something keeps keeping them plugged in. I was just playing golf this morning, early this morning with one of my best golf buddies, and he got great benefit from 12-step programs. He's a former blackout drunk for 17 years, and now he has almost 20 years of sobriety, and he got that way through the 12-step programs. So blessings upon them. One of the things that he says is it's the magic moment, is the moment he got up there in front of an audience for the first time and said, my name is Jim and I'm an alcoholic. He said just saying that was earth shattering for him because up until that day, he denied it. You know, he thought he could control his drinking. That's the, you know, they talk about the disease of pride in 12-step programs, the thinking you're big enough to handle it, you know, and gradually your life falls apart. And so if you think about ending your addiction to thinking about the past, you have to go about it the same way. You have to declare the addiction and then let go of trying to control and put your attention on the here and now. So that's why they call it in AA one day at a time, you know, that it's a one day at a time. You don't say, I'm not going to drink this year. You say, I commit to not taking a drink this day. You know, and if you, have, if you feel the urge, you have somebody to call. So in a way, overcoming an addiction to negative thinking works in very much the same way. It also requires commitment. So it takes commitment to even walk in the door of that meeting for the first time, much less stand up in front and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. So the courage is involved with getting you through the door and then getting you through the door of making that honest communication. So if you've been troubled by negative thinking, take a moment to make this commitment that I suggested to you earlier. I, say your name, I commit to ending my negative thinking and accessing my true genius or liberating my true genius or bringing forth my true genius. I wanted to mention something, Andy, that I put in the new book, In the Joy of Genius. I found a quotation from the Gospel of Thomas, ancient, you know, 2,000 years ago. It was one of the apocryphal Gospels that didn't make it into the official Bible, but it's still got a lot of really good stuff in it. And one of the great quotations from it says, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. And boy, is that an impactful thing, you know, because I've seen both sides of that. I've seen people really birth their genius and get themselves out from under even physical illnesses. And I've also seen the other side where people don't access who they truly are and what they truly want. And they gradually go downhill. I've lost a couple of dear friends that way that made midlife choices. One of my dearest friends, mm. I would have never predicted that, but he developed a midlife drinking problem and then that led to relationship problems. And, you know, so um, there are so many ways to mess up in the world and a very few ways to really stay on track. And one of the best ways to do it is through using the power of commitment. 
Yeah. And you also talk about the importance of taking action that, you know, it, it becomes such a big problem and causes so much negative thinking when you're thinking about the past, and you're trying to control the past or how other people think about you. And uh, by the way, I love the line that you have in there that people spend so much time thinking and worrying about what other people think about them. And the truth is that people are probably not really thinking about you nearly as much as you, you think they are, right? Because they're thinking about themselves. But I wanted to say that you actually helped me a lot this week with this book. It was very useful for me because I had a situation that came up where I had uh, basically a disagreement with a very good friend of mine. And he brought up some things that had been bothering him about the way I was acting and it kind of threatened our friendship. And our conversation was short and got cut off because we both had appointments. And then we were left to stew on it for over 24 hours. And luckily, I had just read your book and you talk about this, this idea. I think you said that some of the worst negative thinking comes from you know conversations left unsaid or unfinished business. And that you've got to, A, be able to let go of you know, that fear and what people might think of you, you can't control that and be take action, take the next step, have that next conversation. And so I did, I made sure to make time to have converse, that conversation the next day with him. We work things out. I'm happy to say we are still very good friends uh, today, but it was difficult dealing with the negative feelings of, you know, what does he think about me? Is this hurting our friendship? But to be able to take the lessons that you put in that book and use that genius move that you talk about to kind of accept it, to let it go, and then take action was really helpful for me. So could you talk a little bit more about what is that genius move and how do you deal with those negative feelings when they come up when you're really worrying so much about the past or how someone feels about you, or especially when you're thinking about that conversation you had when there's so many things you wish you had said, but you just didn't say them? Yes, well, a lot of negative thinking is driven by incompletions. Like if you haven't said what's on your mind in a conversation, you'll tend to recycle it later. Or, yeah, I used to do that a lot. I would come up with these snappy replies to arguments that I'd had six months before. And so and here's the thing about that kind of thinking, though. It all, if you think about it, is a, is a kind of big angry red balloon that's all tied to something down inside, which is that there is something about your essence that needs to be brought forth. In your case, maybe there's something you felt angry at him about and you didn't say anything about it at the time. Or maybe there was something that happened that he was angry or hurt about and he didn't say anything about it at the time. And so those kind of incompletions then suddenly come forth. And so first of all, I want to appreciate both of you for bringing it forth. Because if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. And now you have this friendship that's flourishing again. Incidentally, it occurred to me that the exact same thing happened with the guy that I was playing golf with this morning. About a month ago, we got into a misunderstanding with each other. Yep. And fortunately, both of us are really committed to living in a kind of a wide open way. And so we moved through it very quickly. But you know, even if you've been at this for a while, that doesn't make you immune for stuff coming up. And so here's the thing about the genius move. What I call is the genius move is when you come up against something that you don't know how to handle, a problem that keeps recurring is a good example. So you come up with some issue that keeps recurring in your life. And instead of doing more and more of what you've been doing in the past, instead you 
let go and open up space for your genius to emerge. And so letting go of that old way of doing things and opening up to the miraculous possibilities of the present, what I call wonder, wonder is living in a state of possibility for miracles to occur. By opening up that space of wonder, you begin to tap into what I call your true creativity. Instead of having the old thinking have a grip on you, suddenly your grip loosens, space opens up and you get that spacious flow. And even if you've only felt it for a tenth of a second, it becomes addictive and you want to feel more and more of that spacious flow. Ultimately, the big secret of life is that you only get to experience that flow all the time if you're dedicated morning, noon, and night to expressing your full genius. If you're dedicated to living on the genius spiral 24-7, that puts you in that state of consciousness all the time. And I didn't know it was possible when 40 years ago, when I first started thinking about this, it took me about 20 years to clear all the stuff out of the way. But, you know, for the past 20 years or so, I've basically, 90% of my time, I spend doing only what I most love to do. And it's highly energizing. As you can tell, I'm not in a depressed state at all no. uh, because I get to, this is what I get to do all the time. You get and to play, write books, play golf, and then uh, you get to talk to me, which is pretty good too. Exactly. <laughs> talk about your book, right. Yeah, by the way, if you think, if you run into anybody that seems to be having a better time, please, please, give, uh, please give them my number. I want to see what they're doing. Yeah, I'll let you know. Um, but for the past 20 years or so, I've been able to focus 90% of my time on doing what I most love to do. Like I say in the book, I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a genius at uh, tidying up the cat's kitty litter or uh, taking the trash out or anything like that. But 10% of my time, I'm doing stuff like that. That's, uh, you know, stuff that just has to be done in the material world. You, could, out, out, you could outsource all of those things too, if you really wanted to, right? I mean, it might be excessive, but it's, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's a certain pride I take in uh, like unloading the dishwasher really well or loading it really well. It's kind of a Zen thing for me. Yeah, so I'm with you. Yeah. My wife teaches this workshop. Katie teaches this workshop called Living Your Life as a Work of Art. And that's yeah. really what we're all about over here. We want to turn our lives into when we first got together almost 40 years ago now, we made a conscious decision that we wanted to really live our lives in such a way that they could be an inspiration to other people. And so the dream came true and uh, is coming true every day. That's fantastic and very inspiring. And uh, I know you've written a lot about that uh, in other books. And uh, I may want to interview her about that, how to live life as it is a work of art. That sounds fantastic. Oh, um, she's so amazing on that subject. I mean, she's an amazing human being anyway, but this new subject she's teaching right now, this new course she's put together, she's doing it um, out in uh, Colorado, but she'll be doing it around various places around the world. Yeah, it's a great expression for these times because in my view, the only thing that's going to save us as a species is if we can awaken our full creativity. 
you know, we're messing up the oceans, we're messing up the air, we're messing up the forest. You know, there's lots of things that we're doing that are not working very well. Yep. And we need some miraculous thinking here in the not too distant future in order to birth a new kind of species that's going to thrive as we go further, not continue to create environmental hazardry. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we don't have to go too far down that road. But one thing that makes me think of, and I, I, almost, I was going to ask this next anyway, is that you know, you say the world is set up for us to live our genius and really embrace that. And yet one of the things you you say in the book is that we're kind of taught from an early age and, and hit with these choruses of people that are telling us to really not to love life, right? Not to do the really fun things, not to really enjoy our life and do that a lot of times. And I I want to make sure that we give people permission to enjoy life and to live in their genius as you are doing because it's okay, right? It's You don't have to live that life that someone told you to live. You can go live the life that you want. Yeah, I remember my grandmother telling me when I was a little boy that she wanted me to become an accountant. And she wanted, she said, particularly if you get a job with the government and become a government accountant, you won't ever get fired. And uh, or you won't ever lose your job or they won't ever go out of business because the government's always going to be creating more numbers that people need to know how to but fortunately, I did not take her advice because uh, my math skills stalled out about the time when they were teaching us long division. So uh, I wouldn't have been able to make a very good accountant, I don't think. But, you know, we get a lot of early programming, most of us do, to kind of dampen our expectations. And I, I can see why people, they don't want us to be disappointed, maybe, or something like that. But I was fortunate enough, I ran into some great role models of people that we're really living outrageously different kinds of lives who are really going for it all the way to express their full capacity for human beings. And uh, I just kept running into more and more of those people and it, and it caught on to me. And so I'm really glad I kind of did it my own way and didn't forge my own path. Not that that's always necessary to forge your own path, but it was very satisfying to me. I was reading um, in um, an ethology journal, ethology studies animal migrations and things like that. And, and it turns out five to 10% or so of all herds like to wander off by themselves and kind of explore the horizon. And so if you're one of those people that likes to kind of go off and explore the edges, just know that there's 5% of zebras that do that and 5% of monkeys that do that and 5% of various other species that uh, do that. So uh, we always need the people that are going off and looking over the horizon and saying, hmm, maybe the world isn't flat after all. It sort of curves downward when I look at it from here, you know, and so uh, begin to uh, get some new perspectives like that. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. So one more question I wanted to ask you. I talk a lot about on this podcast about getting past fear and especially how vulnerability will uh, bond us with other people. And yet we're so afraid to do that because we're afraid of how people will judge us, even though it's often how we connect with others. And one of my favorite stories from your book, I wonder if you could just touch on really briefly, was the speech you gave with the shaking hands and how you opened up about that and, and used that to connect with others. Well, when I wrote my first book and when I was still a graduate student, I started working on it. And so it came out during the first year that I was a professor at the University of Colorado. And so it was a little book on for teachers called The Centering Book. And it was about how to get kids relaxed before tests and things like that. And so it turned out to be a runaway education bestseller, which meant it was selling like 
50 or 60,000 copies, which was great for an education book. My, my publisher had no idea. And so what happened was that I got invited to do a lot of speeches at conferences and things like that. So uh, on my first big speech, I gave this talk and I thought it went pretty well. It was out in Kansas City. I remember that. And, uh, but this guy came up to me afterwards and he said, I wanted to give you some feedback on your talk. He said, I really enjoyed your talk. And I said, oh, you know, and I kind of came to attention. And he said, yeah, he said, your voice shakes just as badly as mine does when I try to public speak in public. <laughs> and I guess I must have given my talk something like this. But the amazing thing was that happened was I gave a lot of thought to that. What is it that's making my voice shake? And it came to an astonishing insight is that if I only spoke things that were resonating as true for me, if I stopped talking about theoretical stuff, if I mm -hmm. stopped talking about hypothetical stuff, I just put it in terms of things I personally knew about. If every word that came out of my mouth was authentic, my voice never shook. And so it was a great feedback mechanism. And I gave a speech the next weekend and I... <laughs> I told the story. And uh, so I said, you know, I, I want to let you know that I'm, I'm nervously beginning to tell you this story. So anyway, I told him the story and the place just exploded and I got a standing mm. ovation. And so that really sealed the deal for me that if you want to get standing ovations in life, just go for the authentic, just say yeah. whatever's real. Like I wrote a line for a friend of mine who's a famous actress, and she had to give a, uh, a speech at a fundraiser just after she had had some plastic surgery, and she still had a couple of the bandages on, but there was no way she could take them off for the speech. And um, so this occurred in Santa Barbara, and so she asked me to write an opening line for her that would immediately disarm the place. And the line that I came up with <laughs> that she ended up delivering was, she said, I stand before you here as the only woman in Santa Barbara tonight who's willing to show you the exact locations of her latest plastic surgery scars. <laughs> and the place went wild. Uh, because there's, you know, in a room like that, there's enough silicon to uh, float a battleship. And yeah. every, everybody could relate to it. Oh, that's hilarious and fantastic. And people really want to relate to others. And when you open up and share those things, that's when people can really relate to you and it makes them appreciate you so much more. I love that. I'm learning that myself. Dr. Hendricks, this has been so great. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you and to get this latest book, The Joy of Genius? Well, it's around at bookstores. You can order it online. One good place to go is joyofgenius.com because that gives you several places you can get the book through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. And um, joyofgenius.com. It also has a cool trailer for the book on it that I had one of my Hollywood friends make and really terrific trailer. Nice. The book is called The Joy of Genius. I have read it. I loved it. I have so many notes and highlights in there. And I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Dr. Hendricks, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have an awesome day.
Thank you very much. I'm going to have some lunch and then maybe hit the golf course again. <laughs> nice. All right. Good luck. Take care. Blessings to you.